welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at Lexi at BackPocketSocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. On today's episode, I'm sitting down, down with Taryn Dryling of Faith, Family, and Beef, where she talks about momming, ranching, and connection. Taryn lives and works on a large ranch with her husband and three kids in the Sandhills of Nebraska. Taryn is also Rural America's Enneagram coach and co-host of the Type It Out podcast, where she teaches the personality typing system for immediate applicability. So welcome to the show, Taryn. Um, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. <sighs> so I actually discovered your podcast. I think we might have talked about this a little bit, but quite a while ago. And when I first downloaded it, I didn't actually realize that it was an Enneagram podcast or like that you guys talked about that. I thought it was about writing. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. And I downloaded it. And after listening to it, I was like, oh, this is about like self-awareness and understanding yourself and others and um, the Enneagram. But um, ever since you agreed to be on the podcast, I've just been really excited to have you on and talk about all of these things. Um, so I appreciate you being flexible and rescheduling when I had a sick kiddo and then the holidays and all of that. Oh, I fully understand <laughs> all of that. So- Yes. Before we go any further, I think we have to give people a quick overview of what the Enneagram is and what the heck it is we're talking about. Sure. So the Enneagram is, in short, a personality typing system. But where it differs from other personality typing systems like your Myers-Briggs, Colors Insights, um, the Gallup Strengths Finder. I don't know that it's called Gallup Strengths Finder. The strength, I think it's called Clifton Strengths Finder. That's beside the point. (laughs) Anyway, where the Enneagram differs from all of those is those kind of show you your strengths and your behaviors and maybe give you ways to strengthen your strengths and squelch your weaknesses. But the Enneagram is rooted in your motivation. So your type is determined by your motivations or the driving force for all that you do. So it shows you why you do something and not necessarily 
what you do. And with the Enneagram, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. So you cannot have one without the other. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe that this uh, typology system, the Enneagram is far more helpful because it does show you your more show you your motivations. So I use the analogy of a car. Our car is running crappy and we know that it's running crappy, but we can't fix it unless we know why it's running crappy or what's causing it to run crappy. And so we have two choices there with the car. We can either drive it the way it is rattly bang booming along the road, or we can figure out what's wrong or why it's running crappy and fix it. And it's the same with the Enneagram. We might have behaviors that we know we don't like in ourselves, but unless we know why we can't fix them. And again, just like with our car, we have two choices. We can keep on keeping on with those behaviors, or we can become more self-aware and figure out why we're behaving that way. And then when we know why we can fix it or um, choose a different behavior or, or whatever the case may be there. But in a nutshell, that's the Enneagram. It's rooted in your motivations and it, it expedites the self-awareness process. Yes. And I love I mean, I love that about any kind of personality typing system, just that, that whole self-awareness, recognizing yourself, giving you language to talk about the things that you experience is so powerful and just like helping us explain ourselves to each other and then recognizing that in others as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about the types in the Enneagram. Do you mind sharing what type you are? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I'm a type nine. So there are nine types on the Enneagram. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And I am a nine, which is also called the peacemaker. And my motivations as a nine, well, let me back up a little bit. Our motivations are made up of uh, our fears, desires, sin or weakness and longing. So the longing is what we long to hear to counter the lies we tell ourselves. The longing is also referred to by some as the lost childhood message. And those four things make our core, make up our core motivation for the type nine for myself. That's keeping the peace. My core motivation is to keep the peace and, and the fear that is part of that is loss of connection, conflict, anything that disrupts my inner peace or peace around me. Um, the desire is to have that connection, to have inner peace and stability. The sin that I struggle with is sloth, which does not mean literal laziness. A lot of times with the Enneagram, these sins are not literal. Um, this one is not sloth does not mean that I'm a lazy human. It is more spiritual laziness. So I do a lot of things and sometimes I do things that actually need done. <laughs> Is, is is a good way to describe that. And then the longing for me as a type nine is your presence matters. And so that's kind of, that's, that's the type nine. Do you want me to quickly run down the other types? I would love that. Yes. Okay. That'd be so helpful. Okay. The, so usually I start with type eight because, and then go eight, nine, one, two, three, four, because the type eights, if you, if you start somewhere else, they will kind of lose their attention and, and 
<laughs> start doing other things. And if you start with a uh, type seven, then so we, so we start with eight, end on seven, because if you start with seven, they'll get so into it and into themselves, they'll start Googling themselves and they won't wait around and listen to all the other types. There's but, a strategy behind this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but we already went and we already went over nine. So I'll go to eight and then we'll just skip over nine and go to one. So eights are called the challenger and their core motivation is self-reliance. So they fear betrayal um, or having to rely on anyone else because of fearing betrayal. Their desire is to be in control of all of the situations. Their weakness is lust. And again, it is not um, literal lust. Like they're not lusting after the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> they're lusting after that control. Mm-hmm. And their longing is to hear that you will not be betrayed. And so that makes up their core motivation of self-reliance. And then since we already went over the type nine, we'll skip on to type one. The type one is called the reformer and their core motivation is perfection. So their fear is being um, seen as wrong or bad. Their desire is to have integrity and be seen as good and their weakness is anger um and this anger for the type one it doesn't come out like as in your face anger it's more of a resentment so because they don't want to be seen as wrong or bad and sometimes anger feels wrong or bad to them they will show that anger or they try to not let it out so then it kind of oozes out in the form of resentment Mm -hmm. um their longing is to hear you are good and not just you are good at something, but you are actually a good human. Um, The type two is called the helper and their core motivation is love and appreciation. And when we talk about core motivations and like love and appreciation, sure, we all want to feel that, but where it, it becomes motivation is when we are driven by love and appreciation or driven by keeping the peace. Like a lot of people might not want conflict, but is that their driving force? So that's kind of how we differentiate there. But the type two is called the helper and their fear is being unloved, unwanted, rejected. They desire to feel appreciated, loved, wanted. Their weakness is pride. And this, their pride comes out when they believe that they... That, that everyone else has needs and they know how to fulfill those needs for other people, but they themselves do not have needs. They take pride in the belief that they don't have needs, which of course is false. Everyone has needs, wants, desires, but that's what the, where that pride comes in for the type two. And they're longing. That one described that way of like the, the pride and the absence of needs. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
uh, I my my mom is a type two and she is always this is the and that pride is what um, make have contributes to the type twos struggle with saying no, <laughs> mm. even if they don't necessarily have the time or bandwidth to help people, they almost always will say yes or help in some capacity. Mm. The type two's longing is to hear you are wanted and loved. The type three is the achiever and their core motivation is admiration and affirmation. So they want to be admired and have people like affirm them in that admiration. And their fear is being thought worthless, appearing unsuccessful or unvaluable. Their desire is respect, admiration, success, value. Uh, their weakness is deceit. And it's not, again, it's not literal. <laughs> they're not deceiving. They're not deceptive to other people, but more to themselves because type threes have this innate ability to walk into a room and take in the feeling or read the room mm -hmm. and know which side of them that they need to put forward in order to fit into the room or meet the need of the room. But when the type three does that too much, then they forget who they are at their core and that they're deceiving themselves, not necessarily other people. So their longing or what they want to hear to counter the lies they tell themselves is you are loved and valued for just being you. And then we have our type fours, the individualist and their core motivation is uniqueness and they're, that motivation is made up the, of the fear of being inadequate, emotionally disconnected, abandoned, or plain. And their desire is to have authenticity and be unique or special. Their weakness is envy. And they don't envy the tangible things, but more the normal that they perceive in other people. I'm using air quotes, normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is normal? Right. Uh, or they feel like they're missing something that everyone else has. So that's where the envy comes up for them, not necessarily envy of tangible things. But their longing is to hear you are seen and loved just as you are special and unique. Hmm. The type five is the investigator. And their core motivation is knowledge. And that is made up of the fear of being incapable or incompetent or having their energy depleted. So type fives wake up every day with a set amount of energy and they know right where their energy level is. And they're, they, they fear it getting to empty. Their desire is being knowledgeable and competent. Their weakness is avarice, which is fancy for greed. So they hoard their time, energy, emotional resources because of that fear of being incapable or having their energy depleted. And so their weakness is avarice or greed in that because of that, they hoard those things and their longing is to hear that your needs are not a problem. So they kind of revert inward because they're worried that they don't have what it takes to be in the world. Yeah. <laughs> or in relationship. Yeah. 
So then the type six is the loyalist and their core motivation is security and support. So their fear is feeling fear and not being supported or feeling secure. Their desire is having security guidance and support and their fear is, or their, their sin or weakness is fear. And this one is literal. They, they literally are fearful of worst case scenarios, anything that could go wrong, etc. And part of that is because of their inner committee. I forgot to mention this when we talked about the type one, but the type one has an inner critic and it's with them all day, every day, being very critical of them. It, it, assaults them with inefficiencies. It makes them kind of be, uh, they can be outwardly critical, um, but it's different than like a lot of us might have self-talk and the self-talk only comes up when we make a mistake or something. And it says, Oh, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? Whereas the inner critic is there all the time. They can't ever get rid of it. It, they can turn the volume down, but it never goes away. And it uses language like you are an idiot. Why did you do that? Mm-hmm. But I, I go back to that because the six has an inner committee, which is not critical, but it is with them all the time and they can't get rid of it. All they can do is turn the volume down, but the committee spouts off different perspectives. And did you think about this? Did you think about that? Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And so it's really loud. Like I picture it like a boardroom in their mind with <laughs> all the, the chairs on the board are, are full and they're just talking nonstop loud voices. It's hard for the six to um, weed through all that and discern what it all means. It causes them to be more fearful or amplifies their fear. Um, but their longing, the six's longing is to hear you are safe and secure, mm-hmm. which brings us to our type sevens. <laughs> <laughs> and remember I said, we end on seven because they'll get excited and they'll start Googling about themselves. They won't listen to the other types and their, um, archetype name is the enthusiast. So they get enthusiastic and want to dive in, but they're core motivation is happiness and fulfillment. And again, like I said, some of these motivations are things that we all want, but for the seven, this is their driving force. Like they're chasing after happiness and fulfillment all the time. And that happiness and fulfillment motivation is made up of the fear of missing out on something fun, being deprived, trapped, limited, bored, boxed in, um, The type seven's desire is being happy, fulfilled, and satisfied. Their weakness or sin is gluttony. And again, they're not gluttons for food, but for fun, exhilaration, a sensation that makes them feel good. And their longing is to hear you will be taken care of. So those are the nine types. Real quick. Yes, real quick. And I love about the Enneagram how it's so rooted in like this inner, I guess it's not necessarily rooted in the inner longing. It's the motivation, but I feel like the longing piece of it that they assign to each type is just so direct. And it, to me, it's like, that's what helps helped me understand what my type was because 
hearing about the types and reading about them, I had a lot of trouble figuring out like what what felt the strongest to me. Um, and I know some people when they hear them, they're like, oh, that's definitely me. I know 100%. Um, but for me, I was like, I, I don't know. I feel like I could be any of these really. But then when you get to that longing piece, I was like, oh, yep, that's that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, when I first got into the Enneagram, I thought that I was a type seven because there are a lot of similarities between the sevens and the nines. Like neither one of us want to feel bad. Mm. And, but, uh, and I took an online test and I want to talk a little bit about online tests and stuff. Yeah. I'll tell this story to tell that story. Uh, but I took an online test and it said I was a seven and I was like, okay, that kind of tracks like Again, I was looking at the behaviors, not the motivations, but I read The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile. And when I got to the um, sloth part, the sin of the nine, I was like, yeah, that feels way more accurate than the gluttony of the seven. Like mm -hmm. I could really like... I, I'm could take or leave fun, exciting stuff, but that sloth of being spiritually lazy and holding things back to not cause conflict. Oh, for sure. For sure. Me. And so that is why I recommend that if you take a test, don't stop there because the tests, it's really hard for AI to gauge motivations mm. and that's what the Enneagram is rooted in is your, your motivations, not your behaviors. And also subconsciously as humans, we answer questions as we want to be instead of as we actually are. So there again, the best way to find your type is to read about the motivations of each type and or talk with a coach or you know, like me or someone else who can mm -hmm. kind of help you work through that and get to your core motivations and your core type. Yes. So, okay, that's the types. And that's the kind of how you think about or find out, dive deeper into what type you are. Why does this matter? Why, why do you think the Enneagram is so important? What's it done for you? Um, it has impacted the way like my relationships with my kids, my husband, people, just everyone I interact with. And a lot of people are like, well, that's great. But what if I don't know their types? Well, I don't know my kids types because they're too young to tell me. And, and I can't know, I, I can have an idea, but I can't know what their motivations are. None of us can know what anybody else's motivations are unless we tell each other. Mm -hmm. um, so it really comes back down to what you know about yourself. And probably the biggest way or the biggest impact this has had on my life is that for a long time, I, I, okay, I've been blogging and had Faith Family and Beef, beef since February of 2014. So coming up on nine years. And for the first several of those years, I just, I, it's not that I didn't enjoy what I was doing, but it didn't feel right. Quite right. Something was a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And I had felt the call or urge 
for a long time to do something different, to use my God-given gifts of mediation, um, being able to see in many shades of gray, to do something else. And I resisted it for a long time. Again, There, that's the sloth. And that really like knowing that part of it and the slothful like resistance to do things that I felt a call to and that were important and needed to be done um, really helped me get moving out of that and stepping into what I wholeheartedly believe is God's calling on my life and sharing the Enneagram. The Enneagram is not an end all be all. Lots of people do life just fine without knowing the Enneagram, but it does help expedite the self-awareness process. And when we're more self-aware, we can be better communicators, better in relationship. We can, it's just better for us and better for our relationships, the more self-aware we can become. And so, um, yeah, it's, the Enneagram as a tool for myself has really shed a light on that slothful behavior I had and got me moving into this and sharing about the Enneagram and sharing about good movement and trying to draw more good movement in the world. So I would say that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm really excited to talk about the good movement piece, but I, I want to stay on the Enneagram piece a little bit more. Um, you, you do an amazing job of explaining it and making like helping people understand what it can do for them. But you like coming back to who you are and what you do, you are a rancher in the Sand Hills mm-hmm. of Nebraska and you work primarily with people in rural America. So the whole Enneagram concept is a little bit woo-woo when we take a step back from it. Yes. Do you get much um, resistance to that in your work or what's that? Is there much that people just kind of like, uh, I don't know, this lady might be crazy. This whole concept <laughs> might be nuts. Do you run into that very much? Not as much in in-person interactions as in online react interactions. Um, you know, I started, I, I changed my handle on Instagram, but my website is still faith, family and beef. My, um, Facebook page is still faith, family and beef. And there are a lot of people who don't believe that this tool should be used by Christians. And, um, that's fine. If you feel convicted, we all have personal convictions. And if you feel convicted to not use it, by all means, do not use it. But just like a hammer can be used to build a house and do the good, or it can be used to like knock somebody in the head (laughs) can be used for good or evil. I'm sure this tool of the Enneagram, I'm it's the same. Like we can either use it for good and to grow our relationships with other people and learn to love them better. Because as Christians, we are called to love one another. And so we can use it like that, or we can use it to make excuses for ourselves say, well, I'm just, this is just the way I am. So you just have to deal with it. So it's not so much the tool as the person using the tool. (laughs) I th- it's so interesting because I feel like, you know, a lot of us in ag are kind of maybe a little bit more old fashioned or like, you know, get the job done, 
this is what we're here to do. We're going to do it. And people's feelings get hurt. Oh, well. Um, But the Enneagram and the whole self-awareness process is just so valuable, I think, in thinking about, you know, like the culture that we, we create on our ranches and I, that's a whole other woo-woo topic as well. <laughs> but um, I don't know, I guess I just find it so interesting and I'm so glad that you talk about it and talk about it in a way that applies to ag. So let's kind of talk a little bit more about the, the good movement piece, because I just, I, I went to your Instagram page a couple days ago. because I was like, Oh, I'm going to talk to Tara and I haven't seen her post for a while. I've followed you for a long time, but you know, Instagram algorithm. Yeah. I didn't see your posts. And so I went there to check it out and I'm seeing like all of this stuff you're talking about good movement. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating how you apply it to cattle and people. And then like, okay. So you got to tell me more about like how you came to this. Okay. Well, I was sitting in the pasture. We're going to uh, rewind back to 2016. I was sitting in the pasture, uh, moving pears by myself, just me and my dog. And it was, you know, 2016 was a hotly contested election year. I mean, not that any other election year isn't hotly contested, but that one felt worse to me for some reason. The internet was abuzz with name calling and arguing and all of this crap, for lack of a better word. And I was sitting there in the pasture watching, like I got the first pair or two started in the right, like towards the gate. And then I just sat there and watched as cow after cow picked up her calf and trailed on through the gate into the fresh pasture. And I couldn't help but think of the stockmanship phrase that we have, good movement draws good movement, which refers to that concept of moving one or two animals and getting the rest, like their good movement draws the herd, the rest of the herd in the direction they're supposed to go. And I couldn't help but think like, if we can do this with hundreds of head of cattle, why like, could this principle be applicable, applicable to humans? And I just couldn't help but think that it could be like one kind interaction with constructive conversation could lead to more of it. And I just I put it in the notes of my phone, like the idea. And then in it was a full year later, I finally penned a blog post about good movement draws good movement and relating it back to like the concept of from stockmanship, relating it back to how we interact with our fellow humans and how it's, it, it applies it, no matter what it applies, oh. no matter if you're communicating with cattle, humans, dogs, cats, whatever it applies. And I kind of, I always had that in the back of my mind. And like I said, I went through kind of a shift and stepped into this calling for myself because I knew that I knew I was feeling called to it, but I didn't know exactly what it looked like. And then I attended Natalie Kavork's Real Rooted Retreat in March of 2021. And kind of the seed was planted in me to look into coaching on the Enneagram. And I, so I did. I don't know. It was about nine months later. I finally went through the coaching course and, um, 
then I ended up coaching at her 2022 retreats. And that is where kind of, she talks a lot about alignment in that. And I believe in aligning with God's will for me. And I, it just came full circle, like this idea of good movement. And so my why for my business is just the phrase, draw good movement. And so that is what I, I want to do. What I feel called to do is, is use like draw good movement within me first, because it starts with us, whether you're talking about cattle or humans, it starts with you. So I'm drawing, drawing good movement in myself first. And then hoping to help other people draw good movement. Like you were talking about our culture and ranching and farming and, and that, and like my greatest hope, I don't know this firsthand because um, my husband and I work for the ranch that we live on. Um, it's not ours, but I hear a lot from friends, neighbors, other people that, you know, oh, granddad said we have to keep doing it this way, or they're going through a transition or a generational transition and it's not going well. And I just feel like I can use this idea of good movement to help draw good movement within family operations or um, not just operations with employees. The better you know yourself and and the more you can understand yourself, the better you can understand others. And it just makes for a better working environment, I think. And that good movement, because good movement draws good movement, that good movement's going to keep on rolling. We're just going to get this whole herd of moving. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, and so it starts with that self-awareness, which the Enneagram is a great tool for that. And then this good movement is kind of like, to me, I see it as like the way you apply that self-awareness to what you're doing every day. So what are some ways that you have found that you can kind of like just discover that good movement in yourself and then apply it? Right. So uh, the good movement in myself comes in. Well, here's just one example. I recognize that as a type nine and wanting to keep the peace, I can be a very passive aggressive person. Or I just assume that people know what I mean when I'm not being clear and direct. And that's just not the case. So, I mean, being, being clear is being kind. And when you're passive aggressive or beat around the bush, you're not being clear. And I want to be, therefore I'm not being kind and I want to be kind always. So one of the ways that I have used that is now I'm more direct. So for example, instead of saying, Oh man, the trash looks like it's getting full and assuming someone will take that to me and they should take it out. I just say, Hey, would you please take out the trash today? See, see the difference there? Yeah. <laughs> so much more clear, but, um, that's, that's an example of me as a type nine, but do you, are you going to share your type? I, okay. So complicated. Um, I similar to you took an online test and was typed as a one but I don't think I've been actually a one. I believe I'm a five and I need to spend more time like digging in, but I'm pretty sure I'm a five. Um, and then I also have a lot of eight tendencies at times. I, I'm, this is the other reason I'm pretty sure I'm a five is because I'm like, oh, I could see that. I think I could see myself as all of the numbers, you know, like I love just learning about them all. And then like, oh, well, this one time I did that. And then it could mean that, you know, like... <laughs> But I'm I'm pretty sure I'm a five. 
Okay. Well, we'll assume that you're a five and I'll okay. use a five <laughs> example. So if you are in fact a type five, you have a tendency to retreat inward to preserve your energy level. And when you recognize that about yourself, you can also recognize that, no, I do have the energy to do this. This is my scarcity mindset getting in my way. And you can say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to retreat in. And you can put yourself out there. And then you might actually find that it gives you energy instead of sucks your energy. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where it comes in, like knowing it about yourself and then applying it. Gotcha. The knowing part is interesting um, for me, at least. I, I struggle with that so much. Um, so I guess if someone is really struggling with their type and they've, you know, read the book, done the online test, how do, what do they do from there to either understand their type more or really solidify what type they are? So it is self-reflection. Um, like if you're struggling with your type, even if you come talk to me and you're struggling with your type, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and then I'm going to, and they won't be yes or no questions. They'll be self-reflective questions. Like, um, so you said between the one and the five, we can just do this live right here if you want okay, to. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so between the one and the five, so I would ask you. If first of all, I would ask you, do you have that inner critic that I described that is with you all the time, pointing out inefficiencies, telling you things that you've done wrong, just criticizing you? I don't I don't think so. I think I hear it a lot, but I think um, it's not an inner voice. I think it's one of my parents voices that I hear. Um, okay. I think. <laughs> Okay. Um, generally, if people have the inner critic, they're like, oh, yeah, she and I go rounds all the time. <laughs> so, but that doesn't, your answer doesn't mean that you don't have it, just maybe something to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. um, then I would ask you, do you... Are you very aware of where your energy level is every yes. day when you wake up? I would say okay, so. What happens, what happens when you are stressed out? What are you thinking, feeling, doing? Um, when I'm stressed out, I usually, like, I feel a lot of tightness, I guess, in my chest. Like, I'm anxious about it. Um, I feel like... I have to not waste a single moment to get the stuff done. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, overwhelmed. That's usually, mm -hmm. I'm um, immediately, I guess, see, trying to find things I can cut, find things that I'm like, okay, this is not a necessity for today. It's going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever find yourself going down rabbit holes of just consuming all the information that you can, even if the topic may not be relevant to your everyday life. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, 
I I do that a lot in work. I work in marketing. And so I get really obsessed with like some new thing. I'm like, oh, I need to learn everything about this. <laughs> or um, also, I get really into conspiracy theories and <laughs> go down random rabbit holes on TikTok about <laughs> X, Y, and Z. <laughs> um, have you ever found yourself holding back on on a project or doing something because you don't feel like you have enough information to move forward? Occasionally. I feel like I'm sometimes waiting for a very specific thing when I can maybe like make progress on the project in another way, but I'm like, no, I need to know this, but Maybe not really later, I'm like, oh, I didn't really need to know that. I could have done, moved on without that information if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Are you? So you so occasionally you get held up by not having enough information. Do you ever hold up on things because they are not perfect? Or what is you? Okay, let me rephrase this whole question. (laughs) What holds you up the most on moving forward? Um, I would say, I don't know. Um, Sometimes I think it is trying to put the cart before the horse like it I'm like well I need to do these three things and I or I want to do these three things um and I'm gonna go do them but really I probably should have done these other three things first um or like not knowing the energy of the people around me, if that makes sense. Like I work a lot with clients because I do a lot of freelance projects. And so I sometimes get held up if I'm like waiting to know like how they feel about something or how they are going to perceive a piece of a project. And I'm like, I don't know what they're going to think of that or what, what they really want there. And I'll just stop on it. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Is it that you're, are you more concerned with how the client will perceive it or how perceive the project or how the client will perceive you as a competent individual? The second one, definitely. Okay. Okay. So based on how you've answered my questions, I would say that you are accurate with your five assessment, but this is a really, sometimes it takes a while to, especially if you've been living out of your ego for a while, a long time, which our ego is there to protect us, but it, gives us some behaviors like the five ego. One of the defense mechanisms of a five's ego would to be to retreat inward and um, like live in their head so that they didn't have to expend energy being around other people or having interactions or connections or things like that. And sometimes 
it can be hard for us to come out of that and actually become aware and in determining your Enneagram type can take a while. Mm -hmm. Like I took the test and thought I was a seven and I even told people I'm a seven. (sighs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Mistyping, mistyping happens because of behaviors. But when we get back to the motivations and kind of reflect on what actually drives us, then that's where we can, can get to our core type. And I think one of the biggest reasons I struggled or have struggled in knowing my type is that I feel like I've always been going through like seasons of change. So my behaviors are adapting quickly um, to kind of compensate for that. So like whether it's, you know, just a season of what work we're doing on the farm, um, the season of like us expanding the farm and growing our business, or just like for me, seasons of motherhood of like, I have little babies. Now I have toddlers. Now I am, my kids are growing up. Um, like adjusting to that and finding footing and all that. That's what I think has implicated it so much for me is like, I'm seeing all these behaviors changing as I try to find my footing. What's the motivation behind it is Mm -hmm. the harder question. Yeah. And we can all behave. So, so the any the other thing that's really cool about the enneagram that isn't it it differentiates it from the other personality typing systems is that the enneagram is fluid mm-hmm. so we we when we're our best selves so to speak air quotes there we can take we have all the types within us but we only have the one motivation so it really comes back to motivations but it's fluid again. So there's that all the types, but then we have where we draw from in stress, which I asked you the question about stress type fives draw from the type seven when they're stressed. So that like, I got to get it done right now. And that anxious energy that's drawing from the type seven. And when we're in growth, we draw from a different type. And for the type five, that is the type eight. When they're in growth, they draw from the type eight. So maybe that's why you're kind of like, well, I feel kind of connected to the type eight. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And then we have these things called wings, which are the numbers on either side of our core type that add flavor and nuance to our type. And so people of the same core type can look vastly different because of those things. And then there's another added layer called subtypes, which gets really deep. Like when I was running down the types, we really just barely scratched the surface. Right. How you can, of what you can learn through this tool and how you can apply it. So, Mm -hmm. but that is, that's, it takes a little while because it's not, static like the other types or other Mm -hmm. typology systems it's fluid so it does take a little while sometimes but another good indicator that you might be close to your type is if things feel a little bit itchy when you're reading about them like oh i don't for for me as a nine um nines have a tendency to go along to get along and i was like at first i was like i don't do that I do what I want and I say what I want. <laughs> but when we come right down to it, no, I for sure go along to get along. <laughs> so if things feel a little itchy like that, maybe dig into that. Why does that feel itchy? Could be an indicator that you're close to your core type. That's funny. It's the, sometimes the things that we don't 
like about ourselves or that we've over time, like said, well, this is like a defining piece of my personality. And then to realize that it's a behavior and not a motivation or it's a, like, it is something that maybe you don't like about yourself and have told yourself that isn't really there, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So kind of circling back to this idea of the good movement, as we are on this kind of self-awareness journey and thinking about understanding ourselves more and understanding the people around us more, what are some things or I'm trying to think like practices or questions, tips that you maybe have for helping people find that good movement, particularly maybe when they don't feel like they're in good movement, like maybe trying to rebalance or recenter themselves around that. Mm -hmm. There are um, two things that I have all of my individual coaching clients do. And the first thing is to spend time in uh, prayer or meditation, like reflective prayer and meditation. And because that will, that helps you become aware. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is to journal at least one good thing that happened every day. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be anything big but it does have to be specific and you do have to write it down. So it can't be like, man, I'm grateful. Not one good thing. One thing you're grateful for. I think I said one good thing that happens every day. One thing that you're grateful for. So it can't be like, man, I'm grateful that the sun came up today, but it can be, I am grateful that the sunrise today was so beautiful. Those shades of red and pink and orange, they just lit my soul on fire. Like something specific. And you have and you do have to write it down because you can say that in your head, but when we write things down it sticks and and what that does when we focus on gratitude gratitude is, or it shifts our focus to gratitude and gratitude is the gateway to joy. And joy is not a standalone emotion. You can be joyful and sad at the same time. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's the gateway to joy and joy is what helps us interact with people in a positive way or, um, helps us get through the hard times in life. Right. So those are the two things that I have all of my individual coaching clients do time for self-reflection, prayer, meditation, and journal gratitude journal, at least one thing, one specific thing. If you can do more, do as many as you want, because that means that you're focusing even more on gratitude. Yeah. (laughs) And the more you do it, the more it will come into focus for you too. So Very cool. Very cool. I love those tips. And journaling is something that I've always struggled with until I took away the fact that it has to be on paper. Um, You mentioned earlier, like writing it something like an idea in the notes of your phone. When I switched to journaling on my phone, oh my gosh, I am so much more willing to do that now than I was on the actual pen and paper. I say, when I say you have to write it down, I don't mean like actually physically writing it down, but it has to be tangible somewhere, either on the screen 
or on your paper. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are great tips. Well, okay. I think you have shared a wealth of information here and helped me understand my own Enneagram type a little bit better. So thank you so much for that, Taryn. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share with folks either about the Enneagram or good movement that we didn't quite get to today yet? Um, uh, The only thing I can think of is that I do have... I I do do um, group trainings for uh, farms, ranches, rural, small business that either you have family members that you're working with or employees. I have group trainings and I'm booking currently booking those for 2023 and I do individual coaching. So if you want to like hang out individually, we can do that too. Awesome. Well, I think the whole approach of self-awareness and the Enneagram as it applies, like you said, to like generational transitions on farms and ranches, so powerful. Um, I went to a conference a couple weeks ago, specifically talking about ranch transition and how, you know, there is so much emotion surrounding that experience and how being more self-aware of what's going on with you and the motivations of the people that are involved in that. Like, wow, that could totally shift how that goes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Very cool. When we understand the why behind the emotion and the behavior. It helps yes. So much. Yes, absolutely. Well, I have one question and I apologize. I didn't warn you about this one. <laughs> I ask all of the, uh, my podcast guests this question. Um, the I think like the culture and good movement, um, the self-awareness, like that's an amazing thing that you are raising your kids and like the people who interact with you on a daily basis are getting from you. Like you're passing that on to people. Um, what is your favorite tradition that you hope um, your kids or the people around you um, on your farm, the ranch you work on, like will continue to carry on as well? Do you have any favorite traditions or things that you guys do? Oh, man. I mean, (laughs) this is my favorite, but also it's just I don't even know if you can call it a tradition because it seems so obvious (laughs) for those of us in farming and ranching. But when I was a kid, every Christmas, we could not open our presents until dad got in from feeding cattle. And I don't know, it just built the anticipation and it was just so much fun to like wait and I mean, probably when I was a kid, I'm sure there were times that I'm like, come on, dad, let's go. But (laughs) I just want to keep that up with my kids. And I hope that's something that they keep up should they choose to enter into agriculture. Very cool. Yeah, that's a special thing. Just waiting there like, dad, come inside. Come on. (laughs) We got stuff to open. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Taryn. I'll be sure to link in the show notes where people can find you and learn more about the Enneagram and Good Movement and follow up if they're interested in coaching as well. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at 
at Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.